Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and we're going to continue Guy Talk, which is going to be for the next 30 minutes, and then Dr. Greg Borgon is going to join me. So we've got a great hour of teaching ahead. We're looking for your question, though. Send it over, 877-933-2484. The power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Tom Berkowitz, and Pastor Tom Parrish. Gentlemen, welcome to... The extended version of Guy Talk. Hmm. This is always fun. I enjoy this a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, here's a question. Uh, <laughs> let's open our Bibles to Luke 17. And Luke 17, 34 to 37. And the question is, what is the meaning of Luke 17, 34 to 37? I will read it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be In one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked, he replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Go ahead, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) You can can pick on the new guy, too, if you want. I'm having respect for Tom, though. I'm giving him a break here. So this is often... um, cited in reference to the rapture, that some will be taken, others are left. Um, it, it is actually, if you look at the words taken and left, uh, the, the Greek is that they are, they are taken or brought near, and they are left, as in left in judgment, or put out or put away. Um, and, and as such, and, and I don't think the rapture... Now, I, and I do. I, you got to remember, I believe in a, in the rapture of the church. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. So my answer is going to be based on that. It matches the rapture in this sense that some are taken, some are brought near to God, and others are put out or left behind away from them. So it does match that. But there's another event that I believe this is probably describing uh, more directly, and that is the event called the sheep and the goat judgment. In Matthew 25, it says, when the Son of Man comes in his power and his glory, he's going to gather the nations uh, together to him, those who have survived the tribulation, and those survivors, some are going to be believers and some are going to be unbelievers. And Matthew 25 tells us he, 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 the sheep, which are righteous, will enter into his kingdom, and the goats who did not believe, who are not righteous, are going to be sent away. And so I think this is a parallel verse to the sheep and the goat judgment more directly. Tom, any thoughts? It's a, to me, a difficult verse, but I think what he's talking, where to, he said, where, Lord, and he said to him where the corpse is and where the vultures will gather. I think it's alluding back to um, judgment on Lot's generation, judgment on Noah's generation. God came in, there was a lot of corpses, but he brought some through that. And he brought through Lot and his two daughters, 
and everybody else was judged and went into the salt pit. I mean, that's why I think it's judgment that they're talking about. I don't think it has anything to do with a rapture or anything like that. A listener chimed in with this. Does this not also seem to reflect the Ezekiel war with all the vultures picking over the bones? Um, yeah, so if the sheep and the goat judgment is a reference, a parallel reference to this passage, that happens when Jesus returns at the second coming, which I believe happens at the end of a seven-year tribulation period, right? And at that time is the battle of Armageddon, and guess what happens right after that? The, the great supper of God when the birds will eat on the flesh. I believe that is what Ezekiel 37 is describing and several other places in Scripture. It's also described in Revelation uh, uh, 19 or 20, I think it's 19, this this great supper of God when the birds will eat the, f- the flesh of all these armies that were destroyed when Jesus treads the winepress of the wrath of God. I did find my notes here on this one. It says, one will be taken, the Greek word there is paralambano, and it means to receive near. And so I believe those are the sheep that are received near to Jesus and enter into the kingdom when he comes. And the others are left, and that is a theomy, to to send away or to put out. And that is exactly what happens to the goats. They're sent out. They're sent away. Remember all the parables of Matthew? All the bad, it says they are sent away, they are cut up to pieces where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think that's the same picture here in Luke. It may well be. I'm not an expert on this one way or the other. Here's my thought, though, as a Bible teacher. On a text like this, the first thing I'd say to my students is, Read Luke 17, 22 through, what is the end of that, 37, mm-hmm. as though it was the only passage you've ever read in the Bible. Now, would you think that's all talking about the end times, or do you think it's a direct message to the disciples that were there with him? Because look at verse 22, and he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. It's a present context statement. It's not just a future statement, it's also present context. And we know that some of the disciples survived until the destruction of the the Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and tremendous death that took place there. And I'm wondering how much that fits into it. I don't know. But I'm thinking as a disciple, if I'm there and I heard Jesus say this, and 35 years later that happened and I was still alive, I'd say, whoa, the Lord knew what he was talking about. I will point out one one quick thing here, Tom, before you jump in. Sure. One quick thing. I totally agree with that, and the context is going to drive it. 24 says, however, that the Son of Man in his days will be like the lightning which flashes, flashes yeah. and lights up the sky from one end to the other. That sounds an awful like a lot like Matthew 24, it where does. it says, as lightning in the east is visible in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So I think that brings us to this second coming aspect of this passage. Yeah. Right. He was being asked by the Pharisees, and again, this was during that time where they were examining from the 10th of Nisan to the 14th, and they asked him uh, by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, and he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in the ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is amidst into you. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will see it. He's talking about judgment here, in my mind. I, I don't know how to 
link it back to Matthew 24, and I'll do respect. I kind of lean towards what Tom's saying. There was judgment in the days of Noah. They were having fun and games and partying. We're fine. We're good until they weren't. And it's the same thing with uh, with Lot. They were doing the stuff of pagans until God came. And then it's, it was done. It was sudden. And I think what he's telling them is get your life in order. Keep your eyes on me. If you want to see the kingdom, keep your eyes on me. And just and one more verse, because, you know, oftentimes there is a near application and a far picture, right? Sure. So there's often a that. But I'll just point out one one more verse, and that's in 30, which to me brings this whole passage to the second coming of Christ. It says, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, it goes on to say. So I I think those clues push us to that judgment that you were talking about, Tom, which comes when Jesus returns at his second coming. Yeah, but the judgment is coming when he hit the cross. The kingdom of God was fully here, and judgment was on everyone. If you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'd be everlasting life. If you don't, there's judgments coming, and you don't know the time when you're going to live or die. So I think that more alludes to the present as far as, as well as to the future. But to the present, Jesus is, he died. He was buried. Then he was resurrected. If Satan would have known God's plan, but only those who have the spirit of God can know the mind of God, he would never allowed the, right. the religious leaders in the Romans to crucify him. He was dead meat. Now, as the war continues, you have a choice. Do I live for God or do I live for this world? And that's our choice. The same as it was in the day of Noah, the same as it was in the day of Lot. Yeah. I would love, you know what I would really love, and I know we've got to go to break here, but what I'd really love is to sit down with a whole group of, of pastors, uh, lay leaders, and others from different denominations and honestly, look at these texts without getting divided real quickly into premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, or preterism. Do we begin to look and say, what is it saying, and how do we understand that? Because, and I like Tom, what you're bringing from the the Jewish historical background. There's so much here that I don't know, and I've been studying this for 60 years. So I want to know more, and I appreciate that we can do this. And I wish we could do this for hours. Maybe we should just all be pan-millennialists. It will all just pan out in the end. I like that. Yeah. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more Guy Talk questions. Are, um 877-933-2484. We're back. Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other faith radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Welcome back to the show. 
You're listening to Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish, Tom Berkowitz is the power panel today. All right, gentlemen, uh, here's a question. Why do you think that God's plan for all of humankind's salvation was made possible through only one group of people, the Jews, and only physically revealed to one specific group of people in a specific location at a specific point in time? Was there no other way for salvation to be revealed more broadly to all people in all generations? Well, the truth is, the Lord is not limited to any one way he wants to do it. He will do whatever he wants. This is the way he has chosen. And beyond that, I don't know the motivation of the Lord, except he did it. My obligation is now to take what he's done and to live that out and to find out how to continue to proclaim his message in this world. So... Uh, Lord's going to do what he's going to do, I discovered. He doesn't ever ask my opinion. I've, I'm bothered by that, but he never asked me. He just does it. It was always God's plan to reconcile the entire world to him. Yeah. And he chose to do that reconciliation through the Jewish people. He not only chose the Jewish people, he created them. Yeah. I mean, you took a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man they had no children, no chance of having children, and he took her dead womb and made it come to life. Romans 4, Hebrews 11. But he's always had salvation for the foreigners. That's Isaiah 56. And then Isaiah 49, 6, he says it's too small of a matter that my servant, he's talking about the Messiah, should come for the house of Jacob only but for the entire world. It was always his plan. He just had a specific way of doing it. Uh, you, you said he did come to the world. I think he did come to the world. Now, he chose a guy by the name of Abram of Ur and one of his sons, the child of the promise, Isaac, over the child of the slave woman, and then the younger twin, Jacob, over the older twin, Esau. He chose that group of people to let the world know that he is God. And and how many times in the Old Testament do you read, then the nations will know that God is is the Lord. The the world would have known that he saved these people coming through the Red Sea from the Pharaoh and, and Egypt. They would have known about the conquest in Canaan. And in the same way, Jesus is not specifically described as just the Savior of some. He is described as the Savior of the world and he came to the world and died for everyone's sins so yeah. i think he did come to the world yeah and it gets back to uh genesis 12 3 he was not only going to have his own descendants but he was going to have the rest of the world also mm-hmm. i mean abraham abraham sat down and had lunch with god and god laid out his plan for him mm-hmm. and he believed you know think about it, it was in genesis 18 it's interesting because you're absolutely right. I was looking at Matthew uh, nine or three nine and Luke three eight, where they're, you know, talking about where Abraham's children, and Jesus says, "Hey, wait a minute, you know, I tell you, God is able to you from these stones raise up children to Abraham." I think sometimes we, we're more interested in the DNA of the people than we are in the Lord raising them up. Before Abraham was called by the Lord, I'm not sure it's clear in the Bible anywhere what racial background he had. He created a people that came out of Egypt then, you know, Abraham, you know, the sons, and then went to Egypt. And so sometimes I think we get caught up in that and miss the point 
that Jesus is saying, hey, I want faithful people. And I designed faithful people through Abraham to love me. Now I want you to do the same thing. You know, he took Israel and he gave them the law to set them apart from all of the other nations of the world so that the nations may know that he is the Lord. Israel had the law. We have the spirit dwelling in us. And God has set us believers apart that they may know that God is the Lord. We are now the set apart people of God that are supposed to be light in this world so that the world may know. All right, gentlemen, let's look at Mark chapter 12, <laughs> verse 30. Um, and I will, I, will, I will read it if I can find it here real quick. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the question is, can you do some work on differentiating those? And did God add in strength? What does that mean? Well, it can be broken down, but I don't think that's really the point. You know, the the point is not heart, mind, soul, and body. It's that you give it everything you got. When I married Jan all those years ago, I didn't stand at the altar and say, I'm going to be faithful 75% of the time. She expected 100%, and rightfully so. And the Lord is saying, I want 100% from you. Every aspect of your being is going to be sold out to me. And I believe that's what it means to follow Jesus. And we don't talk about that enough in Christianity. Um, so, yeah, I have to give everything I've got to follow him. Well, th- think about what it's saying. It says to love the, your Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we're focused on God with everything we in. We're 100% in. Here's the point of it. The second is like onto it. To uh, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. He took two truths, one from Leviticus 19 and one from uh, Deuteronomy 6, and he slammed them together. And now he made a bigger truth. John says in 1 John, if you say you love God and you hate your neighbor, you're a liar. Yep. God is saying that. If you do that... He talks about in Ezekiel 22, you have profaned my name. You've done violence with it. If you say you love God and hate your neighbor, you just can't do it. And you can't love your neighbor as great as these two guys are sitting next to me if I don't love God. There's no way I can love them. Exactly. We love because he first loved us. You know, first John says, I've got a take on this. I want... Maybe you guys can comment on this too. Strength, the last part, the fourth characteristic that he described, heart, soul, strength, heart, soul, mind, and strength, that one is ability, right? So we're to love, like Tom was talking about, in all of our ability, like first Tom was talking about. Should we call you first Tom and second Tom? No. But I actually think with all of your heart, your cardia in the Greek, with all of your soul, the suke in the Greek, and all of your mind, I can't remember what that Greek word is. I actually think they're describing all the same thing. We don't love with our heart, with our organ. We love with our soul. We love with our suke. That is the part of us. We are made body, soul, and spirit. And I actually believe the soul part of us is where we have our mind, our will, emotion, memories. That's where we love in our soul. And I actually think heart, soul, and mind are all three descriptions of that soul. That's how we love God with all of our strength, with all of our ability, like you started. 
It's interesting. Uh, one of the churches I served had a medical clinic, and so I would interact with the doctors and nurses. It was right on the church campus. It's interesting, though, because if you go to, if you go to school to become a, a doctor, you don't deal with all four aspects that Jesus is talking about. You deal with a couple of them. And, and sometimes in Christianity, we only want to deal with the spiritual in people, where the message is, hey, it's your whole life. It's your whole being. It's not just a Sunday morning or a part-time. It's everything you've got is sold out to the Lord. And think about that. If we could help young men and women understand that today, what a different world we'd have and what much more peaceful lives they'd have instead of all the complex issues they get into. And that's the Greek word for strength here, your ability, your force, your strength, your might— with your power, with basically everything you got, as you were yeah. describing. Well, here's here's what it is to me, and I'm not going to be analytical. We're called to be salt and light. In this world that's dark, if you want to be salt and light, if you love the Lord your God with your whole being and you love your neighbor as, your, as yourself, who does that? There's light there, and people will be attracted. And here's the thing for the church. If we don't do it, the prophetic word that he said to the priests, Ezekiel did in Ezekiel 22, 26, her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be different from the world. And if we're not, by loving, we're profaning and doing violence to the word. And then it goes on, it says... They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. The opposite of holy, kadosh in Hebrew, is not unholy. It's common. You made my word common. Are you kidding me? When it, we talked earlier about uh, different truths, if we accept that there are all different truths and they all lead to God, we have just done violence yeah. to his word. And we profaned it. And they neither have taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have disregarded my Sabbath, so I am profaned among them. That's what he's talking about. We as as followers of Jesus, we're walking in the footsteps of the Messiah, mimicking what he does. If we can't love and we can't love each other. How are we going to love the world? Exactly. I mean, I've seen more churches blow up over nothing. I agree. Over pre-trip, post-trip. Are you kidding me? Mask or unmask, Democrat or Republican, we're called to love. And yeah. if we can't do that, we're not light. And light attracts darkness. That's Good word. me. No, no, you're, we're right with you because that is the message. People are only going to see Jesus through the us who reflect him. And we reflect him ultimately, not by always what we say, but how we treat one another. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for an outstanding guy talk, an extended guy talk, I mm-hmm. will add. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Greg Borgon will be joining me. <sighs> We're going to have some outstanding teaching just ahead, so don't go anywhere. If you missed any of this lively discussion, uh, it included Jeff Verdorn, Pastor Tom Parish and Tom Berkowitz. You might want to check this out. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast. We'll be right back.
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. So, which of your current activities that you do make best use of your time and spiritual gifts? Now, Scripture is clear about the necessity of growing in Christ, and we're going to talk about that today with Dr. Greg Borgon. He is uh, president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. You can learn more about that at heartofawarrior.org. He's also an adjunct professor right here at the University of Northwestern. I was glad to have him on. Greg, hey. It's good to be here. Thanks. So let's talk about spiritual rhythms. Well, you know, becoming like Christ requires not just growing in in knowledge uh, about him, but it also... Uh, has the aspect of living out, Bill, our faith and bold relief against the backdrop of our culture. Which we must do. Yeah, and and depending on personality and the way in which we're brought up, sometimes we gravitate to one end of that spectrum over the other, and there's a danger in doing that. But Scripture, the, the church exists uh, to, first of all, equip, as it says in Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith, um, of the knowledge of the Son of God, um, and uh, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth and love were to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from which the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So the point is, is that it's always been uh, a two-prong approach. We read also in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So that that speaks to primarily about nurture, Bill, that we we spend our time uh, kind of filling up our heart uh, full of the things of God, um, and so that's nurture. Colossians 1, 9, and 10, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that's the second aspect of that, uh, from nurture to service. Mm-hmm. I like so, that. Well, over the course, Bill, uh, many years uh, in ministry, I was an executive pastor of two churches and served in several, several different capacities. I've noticed uh, over the course of time a pattern regarding spiritual formation, you know, the process like we've been talking about by uh, which we grow in Christ. So we tend to gravitate to activities that nurture us or activities that provide options to serve. If we fixate on one over the other, a certain result will consistently express itself. Let me, let me talk a little bit further about that. Um, a healthy rhythm of nurture and service is necessary for becoming spiritually mature. I think we have to pause for a minute and just let that sink in. Yeah. And that is an important point to have a uh, a rhythm of nurture and service yeah. to become spiritually mature. I think some people take their foot and they never take it off the gas. Yeah. And their tank gets empty and Absolutely. they burn out. That's it. That's it exactly. Okay. And what's interesting, Bill, because we are unique in Christ— 
Um, and we have the identity in Christ, but God formed us in our mother's womb, unique to who we are. The rhythm will be different. My, my spiritual rhythm will probably be, be different than your spiritual mm-hmm. rhythm. And uh, it, it, it's just a matter of way in which we're wired and how we assimilate what we learn and then what we do to pour that out into somebody else's life. So, so the point is a healthy rhythm of nurture and service is necessary for becoming spiritually mature. Emphasizing one over the other stunts our spiritual growth. Let me give you an, a, a graphic illustration of this uh, to drive the point home. If we were to place a sponge in a shallow dish and pour water over the sponge, it would ultimately saturate. Additional water would just kind of spill over the sides. It would be useless because the sponge couldn't absorb anymore. Mm -hmm. So the sponge would no longer be able to absorb any more water. A sponge can only absorb a certain volume of water. So more water will simply, as we stated, run over the sides once the sponge is saturated. So what happens when our spiritual sponge is saturated? For instance, um, when we talk about being saturated, we're talking about Bible study, we're talking about prayer, we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about worship, all those things that nurture our growth, our spiritual development. And if we fixate just on those, um, then w- this is what's going to happen. We become, when, when we get saturated, because we're not bringing it out in somebody else's life or in some other context, we become spiritually smug. Whatever we receive from that point on will not sink in. We're just simply saturated. So when Christians focus their time and efforts primarily on filling up their sponge through activities designed to provide input only, it won't be long before the water in their sponge turns sour. Yeah, and that can be kind of nasty, right? Yeah, sure can. A sponge sure can. in your kitchen? I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever left sponge, uh, water in a sponge and just let it sit there yeah. without wringing it out. Yeah, it's nasty. It, it, it's <laughs> terrible. Yeah. So when that happens, you'll often hear from, from them something like this. And I've heard these statements, Bill, when their sponge is full, they spend all their time nurturing, very little time in service. Um, when they get saturated, uh, their mind seems to change. It, it sours. They say something like, um, I'm not being fed anymore. Ooh. I'm not learning anything new. I need more spiritual depth. I need to go somewhere else to continue growing in the Lord. I'm leaving this church. Mm -hmm. It's just not deep enough for me anymore. That's a telltale sign to me that their sponge is saturated and that they've spent most of their time filling up the sponge and never wringing it out into anybody else's Mm -hmm. life. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're talking about... Uh, the spiritual rhythms in life, how we fill up and got to make sure we ring out. We're talking about uh, how important it is to not only grow in your relationship with Christ, but be uh, filling up and then going out and doing service. Yep. How important that is to have that that rhythm. Yeah. So um, if, you know, we uh, were to wring out uh, our spiritual sponge without filling it, uh, the opposite problem is that the sponge would become dry and ultimately kind of crumble in pieces. It would take increasing effort to wring anything from it. So when Christians focus their time and efforts primarily on wringing out their sponge through repeated acts of service without any nurture, it won't be long 
uh, before our acts of service become a burden. Mm. When that happens, you often hear them say something like this. No one appreciates what I do around this place. Uh, I feel like I'm being taken for granted. All I am is, is someone to use because no one else is stepping up. So when we spend all of our time in service, I, you see these people who, who have a hard time even sitting through a church service. They're up, they're handing out, maybe handing out bulletins, they're always doing something. There's nothing wrong with those activities. Mm-hmm. But if that's primarily what you're doing without nurture, without filling up your, your mind and your heart with the things of God, then what are you ringing out into other people's lives? So the point is, what happens when there's nothing left to ring out? We plateau. We are serving on fumes. It takes more effort to accomplish what we have in the past with little effort. Our attitude shifts to a victim mentality. We constantly give of our time and talents. We continually serve without recharging our batteries. We're consistently ringing out without filling up. Mm. So the sponge must be wrung out before more water can be absorbed. A healthy rhythm between nurture and service is necessary for healthy spiritual development. So a life focused on receiving nurture alone will eventually result in spiritual arrogance and not being fed anymore. A life focused on service alone will eventually result in fatigue and burnout. And you might hear something like, no one appreciates what I do. Mm -hmm. But our spiritual rhythm is to fill up our spiritual sponge through nurturing activities such as And we mentioned these, worship, prayer, study, reflection, fellowship, personal application in our lives. Um, That's how we fill up the sponge. So what activities, I would ask the audience to think about this, what activities are you currently involved in that fills up your sponge? What activities um, uh, are nurturing you and helping you to grow in your understanding and appreciation and love for God? Um, What are you learning about the Word of God that you didn't know before. So that's those are activities that, that fill up your sponge. So the question I would ask the audience is, think about this for a minute and jot down what you're currently actively, or I would say probably, Bill, proactively involved in filling up your sponge. What are the things you're doing to fill up your sponge? Now, and uh, to wring out what we've learned into other people's lives through service and outreach is the other side of this equation. So the question I would ask you, audience, is once you answered the question, what am I doing to fill up my sponge, what activities are available to you to wring out your sponge? Mm-hmm. What are you currently doing to pass on to others what God's given you? Uh, w- what are you doing to release what God has given you into the lives of somebody else, somebody yeah. in need? Greg, let's go back. Uh, Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest um, let's go back to filling up our spiritual sponge. Mm-hmm. You gave a great list here, worship, prayer, study, reflection, fellowship. Does that also include things like uh, a nap or a nice walk in the woods or 53 days in Ireland? Uh, I know I just got personal there. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> but that, I, I think, would also be part of the fill-up process. Well, yeah, I mean... it. it you know, what's, what's interesting, Bill, is that everybody has a finite amount of spiritual, emotional, and physical energy that they can expend at any given time. The normal course of life and our responsibilities and our duties, that drains that, that energy from us. 
Uh, and it's similar kind of, kind of like a mixed metaphor because we're ringing out. Um, and those things that, that we do are dropping that level of fluid that we need to live. And so if we're not refilling that, and it can be things like we, you just mentioned, mm-hmm. but also the things that you mentioned at the end there about taking a nap, um, taking a walk, uh, doing something like, for instance, what I what I decided to do later in my life was learn how to cook for my family. That gives me great joy. It fills up my sponge. Yeah. Um. It, it or or it makes room for more things to yeah. put in the sponge. But they're getting sick of toast every night, aren't they? <laughs> no, <laughs> my dishes cooking, are Greg. pretty ex- ex- exorbitant. <laughs> so I just love doing that. But you're right, Bill. It isn't just those those activities that we would normally associate. Uh, with spiritual nourishment or, or to go ahead and build our, our faith, um, we also have to be taking care of the whole body, not, not just the soul. Right. So we need the rest that you mentioned. We need things that, that they bring life to us and not death. Yeah. Awesome point. All right. So, um, so again, if, if you're, if audience, if you've actually taken the time to think about those things, about what fills up my sponge and what am I currently doing that rings out that sponge to determine what that rhythm is. So the point is this. Our spiritual rhythm is to fill up and ring out, fill up and ring out, fill up and ring out. Mm. Don't we see a pattern of that in in the Gospels with Jesus doing ministry and then disappearing for three days? Absolutely, in prayer. Prayer and time with the Father. Yep, on the side of a hill. Yeah. uh, When the the apostles thought he should be there ministering to the the poor, he says, they'll always be with you. Yeah, he just disappears for a couple of days. Let's take a break. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. He's the founder and president of Heart of a Warrior's Ministry. So heartofawarriors.org where you can learn more about him. But we are also talking about spiritual rhythms today, uh, filling up and ringing out. It's an important part of becoming a spiritually mature follower of Jesus. We'll be right back after a very short break. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. I'm so glad to be back with my friend, Dr. Greg Borgon. We're talking about filling up and ringing out, something we all need to do and pay attention to, because if we don't do that, we might just become a little on the smug side or arrogant side if all we do is fill up. And then if all we do is ring out, we might end up feeling unappreciative. I'm not feeling like anyone appreciates what I do. So it's striking a balance, and Greg, I think you're giving our listeners something to think about. What activities fill you up and what activities ring you out? Yeah, Bill, it's, it, it, for instance, if, if you put together two columns and one at the top is, here's some activities that uh, fill up my sponge, and then on the other column, here's some things that, um, uh, activities that I, where I can wring out my sponge so that I have room to fill up some more. It isn't a matter of having, gee whiz, I've got to have three things on one column and three on the other to make sure that they're even. Because some activities uh, have greater 
um, penetrating ability than other activities uh, for you at any given point in time. And, you know, just as we were discussing off air, um, there may be a season where the primary thing that fills up your sponge is maybe listening to um, a, a podcast or, or a video that somebody's recorded speaking about spiritual issues. You that, mean like Afternoons with Bill Arnold? Yeah, just like that, yeah. Bill. Just like that. Well, I, I why did I have to bring it up, Greg? <laughs> Seems like you should have brought that up. I should have. I yes. should have. So I apologize. So Afternoons I'll with Bill Arnold. I'll have you back on again, maybe. <laughs> but the idea is, is that for a season, that may be exactly what God wants in terms of the venue or the avenue to your soul. Mm-hmm. And he'll use that. At other times, it may be a going on a retreat, a spiritual retreat or, or an audit or whatever. Um, but the point is, is that it's not a matter of having equal numbers of things on both sides or in both columns. It's a matter of identifying those things that are indeed um, filling up your sponge and things that you enjoy and you're called to do in many respects to wring out your sponge in the lives of others. So if you were to list all nurture and service activities in which you're currently involved— so how would both sides of the activities look? In other words, when deciding uh, the appropriate rhythm for your continued spiritual formation, here's what I would suggest that you consider. Um, first of all, uh, which of your current activities make best use of your time and spiritual gifts? Uh, which activities are redundant? To arrive at a healthy rhythm, which activities should be eliminated? There may be some things you're doing that you've always done that maybe needs to change. Mm-hmm. You need to mix it up a, a little which bit. Which might be hard for people. Well, it sure will. Yeah, it, it, it does because once you get into the routine, um, it's, it's hard to change that routine. So I would suggest the four following uh, reflection questions uh, that, that the audience should examine. Um, and this will help you. And, and I'd, I'd precede this with prayer and ask the Lord through the power of the Spirit to reveal to you uh, what you need to know. But here are the questions, Bill. What am I doing now I need to keep doing? So what current things, whether they're wringing out the sponge or filling it up, um, they're still vibrant, they're still necessary, and they bring life to your soul. Mm-hmm. What am I doing now I need to keep doing? The second question is, what am I doing now I need to change? Maybe I need to mix it up. Maybe I need to look for other opportunities. Maybe God will lay on my heart another venue in which will fill up my sponge or give me an opportunity to wring it out. So we have to be constantly uh, observing and looking for those, those opportunities. The third question is, what am I doing now I need to stop doing? Are there activities that bring no life or bring death for that matter. Some things maybe, some dysfunctional things or some sinful things I need to remove from my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to start off with a clean sponge through confession. Um, so the point is is that there may be some things that God lays on your heart that you need to stop doing. And the fourth question, Bill, is what am I not doing now I need to start doing? Okay. Each question gets harder, just so you know. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. laid them out that way on purpose, but I mean, the first two are reasonable. What am I doing that's working? Yeah. Keep doing it. Yeah. Way to go. 
uh, what am I doing that I should change doing? You can uh, change things up a little bit. Doesn't mean you've abandoned anything. You've just changed some things. But then when it comes to stop doing, you let's say you're on a committee at church and you are driving the committee, but it's burning you out. And you know you should stop it. But if you stop it, you're going to get a lot of darts thrown at you because they can't <laughs> operate this program or this or this uh, what you're doing without you. That's that's a so very they good say. point. Yeah, to have and the courage to to that say takes you know what courage. No. Yeah, absolutely. Or you know, we all like the fact that we're appreciated. And when somebody comes to us and says, you know, only you can do this. We really need you. Mm-hmm. And you know, in your heart. That it's going to suck the life right out of you. <laughs> and yeah. just, but you, you, you feel give like a in. hero. You give in. So you, you, you do it, and sure enough, it brings no life to you at all. You should have said no. So it's having the courage to lean into your fear and say, no, this is what I need currently right now. This is what God is laying on my heart in order for me to give out or have something of value mm-hmm. to ring out into somebody else's life. Here's what I need to be involved in at this particular point in time. Mm-hmm. Maybe down the road and you ask me again about to be involved in something like that, I'll be ready for it. But right now, I just don't feel like God is calling me to engage in this particular area. So, Greg, how do you come to these decisions? Do you do this alone in prayer? Do you do this in accountability with a group of people that know you and love you? How, how do you go about addressing these four, these four questions? Well, essentially, it, it starts off with a private meeting with God, and uh, you bathe it in prayer and see what God will lay on your heart. Um, and, but I, the, the other thing that you mentioned is, is valuable as well, seeking out people that you trust, that know you, yeah, and you know, being able to, to honestly ask them the question— do you think I'm overcommitted? Am I overcommitted in these areas? What do you think I need to change my life? If, if you had to answer these four questions for me, you're saying this to a friend, how would you respond? And so it says that there's wisdom in many counselors. Yeah. So the idea is how would they answer these questions on your behalf? What am I doing now I need to keep doing? What am I doing now I need to change? What am I doing now I need to stop doing? What am I not doing now I need to start doing? So getting that kind of feedback and being held accountable for that. Yeah, that's also called some raw honesty yeah. coming your way. Yeah, that's right. That's and level three conversation right it there. Is. Yeah, that can, be, and that can be tough. So you have to be careful who you ask those questions to. It's got to be a trusted agent, a friend that understands you and loves you. Um, and uh, the bright as well as the dark in your life and uh, is willing to be honest with you and not just uh, tell you what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. Bill. Yeah. I just want to review these one more time because I think it's so good. And people might be driving right now and they can't write down these. So I'm mm-hmm. going to give you another chance to hear them again. What am I doing now that I should keep doing? Mm-hmm. All right. What am I doing now that I should change doing? And what am I doing now I need to stop doing? And I think this is the big one. One of the big ones is what am I now doing what am I not doing now that I need to start doing? Yeah, I mean, if you can keep in your mind these four words, keep, change, stop, and start. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and go through those regularly. Do a spiritual audit on a regular basis, you know, once a month or once every couple of months because it's so easy, Bill, to get off track. And because of the demands of the moment, the tyranny of the urgent, um, the appeal to to you from a, a, a friend, and you want to to uh, 
uh, you know, to satisfy uh, them by jumping into the middle of something you probably shouldn't have. So it takes some courage, and sometimes, the, and, and they're not going to understand the reason why you're not doing it, even after you explain it. Mm-hmm. You've got to be willing to uh, um, embrace that and, and understand, well, they're just not going to understand what this is, what God's calling me yeah. to be and do. And maybe you need some rest and encouragement to go back into the fight, because when I think of great stories of missionaries and some of the hardships they have endured and suffered, and then I look at my life, I'm not anywhere near their suffering or their level of discomfort or inconvenience, right? Mm-hmm. And that yet I can still find things to complain about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's easy to go ahead and do that, especially if you're tired or um, if you've been misunderstood or you're being criticized on a regular basis, undeservedly so. It's real easy to lapse into those things. But to, so to grow in Christ, I mean, we need both nurture and service— so I'm, and I invite the audience to join the fellowship of the sponge, <laughs> committed to both nurture and service. Yeah. Get a badge, <laughs> but join the fellowship of the sponge. And I'll just leave you with this quick passage, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. So there's that balance of nurture That's and service. That's good. Wow. Thank you. The Fellowship of the Sponge as Dr. Greg Borgon. Thanks for being here, Greg, and thanks for this teaching. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.